Hey guys, welcome back to this week's podcast. We hope this week's message inspires you and encourages you. Be sure to check out our website to find out more about us. Here's today's message. Well, as soon as someone does mention abundance, like Adam did earlier, we can't help having a bit of an image of it, can we? Things like lots comes to mind. Um, Good, better, even best more and we talk a lot us Christians talk a lot about abundance don't we churches and preachers and books and conferences and we talk all about abundance but in truth what does it mean now don't you think it was it was always my way I think as a young 19 year old I was working in my first station, Flemington Police Station, and then I I was working towards abundance. I wanted to work hard. In fact, I wanted to work there in my new job, my new career, I wanted to work to be the best. And then a few years later than that, I've worked my way up. I'm a brand new detective now at Brunswick CIB, and I'm going to be the best operator that they've ever seen. And I get paid well for a young guy, so I'm going to save hard and I'm going to buy a house. And I did. And I'll, I'll keep healthy. I'll try and keep fit. I'll play sport and I'll run I'll try, and I'll travel. Not, not just to, to study and to improve my career, but I want to do mission trips as well. But I also just want to see the world. I want to travel. And thankfully, at that stage too, I'm healthy and I'm generally happy. Hopefully then I'm thinking in my 20s I'm going to meet a nice girl and get married. And then we'll have a family. And I don't think then as an as a older teenager and young in my 20s and mid-20s, I don't think I was out of the ordinary. Maybe I was a tad more ambitious and driven than the average person, I don't know, but, but, but by and large, what I wanted and what I was working for, wouldn't you say like it was all good and honourable? I wanted and, and I was working for, and it seemed like it was actually working for me, I wanted to have an abundant life. <laughs> and who wouldn't? So, so, so then I would love it. As in a month life, because I was I was following Jesus as well. So when some preacher would say it, or some book I'd read it in, or a friend would even remind me, and they remind me that Jesus said, Jesus Himself said, the thief comes only to kill and steal and destroy. That's what the thief does, but I, Jesus, I've come that you might have life and have it to the, to the full. So I'd love it because preachers would preach it and I would read it in books and I did sign up for conferences and they would say it there. So, so this abundance, what's, what's it look like for you? Abundance, like what, what does abundance look like for you? Because you want it, don't you? If you've got the choice, before you get all like really spiritual and pious, if you've got the choice between you, you can have 
I'm offering you an abundant life. Or whatever the opposite of an abundant life is. <laughs> Which one would you take? Which one, which one would you sign up for? Which one did you sign up for? You might have, you might have, you might have made your mind up and you're going to affirm this and it's going to be out loud and you're going to say, you're going to say I am aligned with the energy of abundance. You know, and the more you say it, the more it'll be true. The more you affirm it out loud, the more likely it is. Abundance flows to me easily and freely. I am body abundance. You're going to talk it into reality. And you deserve it. And you accept it. So you would say, abundance is coming. I deserve it. I accept it. Type yes to affirm it. Friends, really, what's wrong with it? Nothing whatsoever, you say. Nothing. What's wrong with me wanting? Like, if I want to be happy and healthy and wealthy, what's wrong with that? Jeff, like, what, like I, I never set out to swim in the sewers of sin. I, no, but I'll be honest with you, I'm aiming to swim in the sea of success. And even if I don't quite get there, you tell me, Jeff, what's wrong with even aiming to do that? Like, what's wrong with that? Well, ask Paul in his focused perseverance exemplified. You go on, go on, ask him, because we're right near the end of his, his life now. Last week, we, we got to Rome with him. And we had him marched into town by the, the Roman soldiers who were with him and the other prisoners. And he'd been on this marathon voyage in different ships. And here's the voyage that they'd been on. And you can see right up the, 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 the top left-hand corner there. When they land here at, however you, I, I, I can never get this name right in my name, but put, put, Putioli or Putioli, whatever you say. But when they land here, the rest of it is on foot. And it's, a, it's around about a 200-kilometer journey that they march with the soldiers and the prisoners up the land to Rome. And you can see there, it actually says in Acts chapter 28, verse 15, the brothers and sisters in Rome had heard that we were coming. They came to meet us at the forum on the Appian Way. And you saw that there on the map. Others joined us at the three taverns. When Paul saw them, he thanked God and took courage. So the Christians are meeting them on the way. They heard that they're coming. So now then, in Rome, in verse 16, it says, When we arrived in Rome, Paul was permitted to have his own private lodging, though he was guarded by a soldier. So he's in the barracks of the palace guard or the praetorian guard, and he lives, well, it's like sort of, by himself. Because fastened to his wrist 24 hours a day is a Roman soldier and he is working a four to six hour shift 
before the next soldier will come and they'll swap over. Never alone, Paul is, but he's always got this captive audience because they're chained to him. Can you imagine this guy from everything you learned about him in the last few months? Can you imagine Paul just shutting up and sitting there and saying nothing? Like, these poor soldiers, they have no choice. My friend is, um, is a chaplain. Uh, with with the Victoria Police, just a voluntary chaplain. He's a pastor as well, and and if you know my friend, he's a fairly fairly forthright and insistent sort of guy. And the first day that he arrived at the uh, the place, the, the the unit in the police force where he's the chaplain, they took him around and introduced him. And they they, they you know they took him. The boss took him around, and introduced him to all the detectives who worked there. And then after that, my friend was some, he must have been behind some sort of petition or barrier or something like that. And he heard one of the detectives talking to another one of the detectives. Um, and he's never told me their names, um, but it was, a, it was a female talking to a male. And she goes, I'm not talking to him. And the guy says, no, me, I'm not either. If only they knew. If these people only knew, like, if when my friend hears that, they've just issued him the biggest invitation and challenge they ever could. And every time he goes there now, every, he goes there every week and he'll call me on the way back and I say, hey, so how did, I, how did I not talking to him go today? <laughs> he says, oh, we had a good chin wag today, a good talk. Like, can you imagine Paul sitting there with a soldier chained to his wrist as if he's not going to talk to them? Look what, he, look what he wrote in one of his prison epistles down the track after the time look what he wrote and i oh, sorry like after this time that it happened i want you to know dear brothers and sisters that everything that has happened to me here has helped to spread the good news for everyone here including all those poor soldiers who say they're not talking to him in the palace guard they know that i'm in chains here because of christ and because of my imprisonment many of the christians here have gained confidence and become more bold in telling others about Christ anyway three days after he got to Rome they got him into his house he called the leaders of the we think there were seven Jewish synagogues in the area of Rome said to be for about 60,000 Jews in the area he got the seven leaders together or the leaders of the seven synagogues together and he talked to them and then a, a time was set in chapter 28 And on that day, a large number of people came to Paul's house in the Praetorian Guard. He told them about the kingdom of God, taught them about Jesus from the scriptures, from the five books of Moses and the books of the prophets. He began lecturing in the morning and went on into the evening. Some believed and some didn't. You see that he began lecturing in the morning and went on into the evening. I have a friend who is here today sitting almost directly in front of me in the second row and she hasn't realized I'm talking about her just yet Um, but one day um, she was telling me about a conversation that she had with someone else and she said oh yeah we just talk about what Jeff's going on about that's what she said we just talk about what Jeff's going on about going on about (laughs) going on about that's what Paul was going on about he began lecturing in the morning and went on in the evening he went on some believed some didn't now you know friends the best we know from our bibles is that then for the next two years paul lived in that same his own 
rented house. He welcomed all who visited him, proclaiming the kingdom of God with all boldness and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ, and no one tried to stop him. That's the end of the book of Acts. That's the end of the narrative. Now, we rely on strong tradition to know what happened after that. Best we can surmise, Paul stays there for a couple of years. He has a trial of sorts and most probably gets acquitted, gets released. And then he travels around to some of the churches that he'd started, but it's not long until he's arrested again and is returned to Rome and tradition actually points to a spot it's about five kilometers from Rome on the Ostian road where the headsman's axe beheaded him he was executed it's abundant it's abundant life abundance not long before he died and This is most likely in that second imprisonment, waiting to die. He wrote to his young protege, maybe maybe his favourite son, Timothy. Look what he wrote. He said, as for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. I have fought a good fight. I have finished the race. I've remained faithful. Are you you thinking of abundance when it comes to Paul? Are you thinking of happy, healthy, wealthy? And when he wrote those words, waiting to die, he's in a Roman prison dungeon. It's below street level. And tradition has it that that sewerage from the bustling city above would flow right through the middle of his dungeon. That's where he was when he wrote those words. So, So glance for me for a second. We're not at his funeral yet, but imagine it's this Thanksgiving celebration service for the life of Paul. Look back with me. Just, just for a sec, look with me for abundance. God, like, look with me for some abundance here. But, but, but as we do, ask yourself just this question. Could, could God's idea of abundance be different to yours or mine? When Paul's looking back, look what he sees. And, and as you do, remember the way that he described himself? We've seen these verses just in the last few weeks. In Romans, he wrote, no, in all these things, he'd just written about all that, you know, famine, hardship, persecution, distress, danger, death. He's written about all of those things. He said, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We know that he wrote as well. But thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. 
What did, what did Paul's abundant life look like? Because he said he always leads us in triumphal procession. <laughs> always. He said we're more than conquerors, overwhelming conquerors. So if he said all of that, and yet he died with the axeman's, with the headsman's axe chopping his head off, what did his abundant life look like? <laughs> and more so, and you want to know this too, what does yours? What can your abundant life look like? What's mine look like? And remember too, it was Jesus himself who described it. He said in John chapter 10, verse 10, the thief comes only in order to steal and kill and destroy. I came. So in contrast, the thief comes for that. I came that they may have life and have it in abundance. To the full, till it overflows. Abundant life. When Paul looks back, you know, he had a vivid remembrance of mercy. Mercy. Any time Paul attempts to explain that, that focused perseverance exemplified that we've seen for so many weeks, he'd say something like this. Here's an example from his letter to young Timothy. How thankful I am to Christ Jesus our Lord for considering me trustworthy. Can you hear just the wonder in his voice? He considered me trustworthy. He appointed me to serve him. Even, even though I used to scoff at the name of Christ, it, like, I hunted down his people. I harmed them in every way I could. But God had mercy on me. Because I did it in ignorance and unbelief. Oh, how, how kind and gracious the Lord was. He filled me completely with faith and the love of Christ Jesus. I never deserved this. I, ne I never deserved it. How, how could I ever... Repay the gift of God. We've, we've been doing a lot with my with my mum recently. My mum's had to she's she's gone into into care, and um, it's been a really it, it is a really big adjustment for her. And she's been fairly emotional sometimes. And just Jeff, thank you. Thank you so much. I, you know, with myself and my siblings, and she just thanked me and thanked me and thanked me. And I, I just say, hey, mum, mum, you, you look back. You look back at, at my life. Mum, I could, I could never repay you for all you've done. And she scoffs. Oh, no, no, no. Mum, it's true. Never. If, if I lived for a thousand years, I wouldn't be able to re repay you for all that you've done. And this is Paul's attitude with God eh? all the more. I love the movie. It's called Amazing Grace. It's the story of William Wilberforce and the, and the 
abolition of the slave trade in England. And there's this powerful, powerful scene near the, near the end of the story and, and, and his mentor and his pastor, John Newton, the former slave trader, who wrote the hymn, Amazing Grace. And William Wilberforce goes to see John Newton. He's nearly blind and he's mopping the floors in the monastery. And John Newton says to him, through thick emotion, and he can hardly even see, he says, two things I know. I am a great sinner. And Christ is a great saviour. My friends, God's plan is for me to have an abundant life by his definition. And it starts with his mercy. And for Paul, this, this master thought that he was controlled by was that he'd been saved by mercy. And by the very definition of mercy, he did not deserve it. He'd been saved by mercy so that he might save others. And he's stuck. Even, even the horrific recognition of what he had been saved from and what he'd been saved to, that's what drove this guy. So if you, my friend, if you're looking for an abundant life and you stand beneath the cross of Jesus... Do you feel his mercy? Do you feel his mercy? Paul, Paul had a clear purpose for being as well. All the way along, like he'd make any sacrifice, this guy, any sacrifice so that people could be saved. But if you, if you read, you, you, you learn quickly. He aimed, though, only... For an audience of one. Now, I'm sure, I'm sure he's just like me, maybe not as much, he's just like you. He would, he would love it if he could keep all the people happy all the time. He would love it if people agreed with him. He would love it if people liked him. He would love it if people didn't oppose him. But that was never the prime object of what he was doing. Look what he wrote to the Thessalonians. He said, For we speak as messengers who have been approved by God to be entrusted with the good news. Look at this. Our purpose is to please God, not people. He's the one who examines the motives of our hearts. You know, whatever became of Paul, whatever results were yielded or not yielded, however people perceived him, all he wanted in the end, was to please God. That was all that mattered. You're looking for an abundant life? God's plan is for me to have an abundant life. By his definition, well, I need to look to please him. I imagine, like, imagine if it's your single aim. Just, just sit here for a sec and, and let the cliches wash over. Imagine if right now, for the rest of today, and even if you just do it for today, and the only thing you're aiming to do is to please God. You heard of the book, this is a classic, 
Christian book. They say that it's sold over 12 million copies. One of the most read books of all time. It's called In His Steps. This fictitious story about a little town. You can see the church in a little town there. And if you've heard of, you know, like when you, we went through a phase a few years ago and every so often you still see it now, someone, we'd wear those little bracelets and say WWJD, what would Jesus do? That's where this came from, from that book. Because the, the town, and it gets hold in, in the town and, and the preacher and the church and there's a bunch of people who say for the next year, before we make any decision at all, we'll ask, what would Jesus do? Every decision that we make, that's what we'll ask. Can you imagine? So, for me, there's a prayer that, that, that I pray, and I've got it there, and I, and I, I do this every day. I tell God, I say, God, I want you to be the object. Now, notice, like, the object... That means there's only one object, the object of my worship. I want you to be the source. There's only one source of my security and significance. And I want you to be my audience, authority, and judge. Look what Paul said when he wrote to the Corinthians. He said, what about me? Have I been faithful? Well, it matters very little what you or anyone else thinks. It doesn't even matter whether you think I've been faithful or not, he says. I don't even trust my own judgment. It doesn't even matter what I think. <laughs> Redundant question. My conscience is clear. That isn't even what matters. It is the Lord himself who will examine me and decide. So then, bearing that in mind, be careful not to jump to conclusions before the Lord returns as to whether or not someone else is faithful, hey? Paul had a simple plan for living as well yeah actually he didn't even have a plan never his own own plan because you know what his plan was it was just really simple every day just listen into what the holy spirit says and do it to the point where he was cautious even to refer to his future program all he wanted to do was keep inside what God asked him to do. Living in such dependent upon the Spirit for his guidance and direction and the unfolding of the divine purpose. Spend longer than about three minutes with our friend Pastor Sammy and I guarantee you'll hear him say a couple of words. What, what, what are those words? Uh, Sam, I didn't prepare Sammy for this. What would the words be, Sammy? That they will hear from you if they talk to you for longer than two minutes. What will the words be? Oh, you thought of two different words to me. God is good all the time. Yeah, they'll hear that. You'll hear that. God's good all the time, all the time. God's good. There's some other words. Uh, sorry. Like there's some other words that they'll hear from you, Sammy. If, you, if you're talking about doing something, what will it be? God willing. There he is. Sammy will always say, it comes into just about every sentence he says, God willing. If God doesn't will, it's not going to happen. Like, and this is... This is Paul. Look at this. Next, Paul and Silas traveled through the area of Phrygia and Galatia because the Holy Spirit had told them not to go into the province of Asia. 
and then it tells you that they come to the borders of Mesia, they head for the province of Bithynia, but again the spirit of Jesus did not let them go. So instead then they go on to Mesia again, then to Troas, and then that night Paul has a vision, he sees a man from Macedonia in northern Greece pleading with him, come over here and help us, so we decided to leave for Macedonia at once, why? For we could only conclude that God was calling us to preach the good news there. The purpose. Just do what God asks you to do. This is where abundance comes from. Do what God asks you to do. Um, I, I wanted to think up a few years back now, especially around the time that I started doing the chaplaincy work at Richmond Football Club, I wanted to think up, how can we sum up, what, what am I trying to do there? And I come up with this line of, well, I want to, what am, what am I doing when I go there? I want to imitate Jesus and love people. It's all I need to do. Abundance, friends. Where does it come from? from doing what God asks you to do. Um, God's plan, yeah, it's for me to have an abundant life, but it's by his definition. Uh, another thing Paul did, he extracted power from his weaknesses. So this man, we've looked at him with eminent gifts of character, indefatigable energy, power to command and lead and organize, intellect, thought, speech. I don't know about your view, in my view, Probably the most influential man ever to walk the face of the earth other than Jesus himself. But if it hadn't have been for the presence of his weaknesses, what do you think he would have been like? Unbearable? Headstrong? Hard to live with? stubborn he might never have become the great apostle to the gentiles maybe i mean and i'll guarantee you i'll i guarantee you 100 percent if if it was jeff shepherd the apostle if it had been me in that situation i would most certainly like take away weaknesses i would yield to self-confidence i'd rely on my extraordinary endowments and, and it instead of casting myself on the power of God. Look, look what he said to the Corinthians, to, to keep me from getting puffed up. Because we get cabin fever, don't we? Like when things go well, we get a bit of cabin fever. He says, to keep me from getting puffed up, I was given a thorn in my flesh. It was a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from getting proud. Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away and each time he said my gracious favor is all you need um, that's like saying Paul I'm sorry the answer is no my power works best in your weakness literally in the Greek language if we translate it do a wooden translation we call it word for word literally it says for my power in weakness is perfected do you see what god says my power as god that's actually perfected 
in your weakness. Why is that? Because the weaker you are, the more you need my power. In other words, the weaker you are, the more my power shines through. And if you want my power to be perfected, you'll be weak. You'll be weak, you'll be weak, you'll be weak. And if you're not weak, my power will not be perfected in you. So now Paul said, I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses. Who boasts about their weaknesses? So that the power of Christ may work through me. Since I know it is all for Christ's good, this abundant life, I'm quite content with my weaknesses. And if that's not enough, with insults, hardships, persecutions and calamities. Why? Because when I am weak, then I'm strong. Abundance? Like, could you, are you wondering, how can you have abundance when you're disabled, when you're limited, you're seemingly held back, your condition, it, it, it's chronic, and it hasn't gone away. You're quiet, you're shy. It's so hard for you to put yourself forward. How can you have abundance? You haven't... You haven't got a license. You haven't got a car. Your family's in disarray. Your marriage is in tatters. How can you have abundance in the middle of those weaknesses? And you know, Paul, they say his bodily presence was weak. They said that his speech was, and I quote, contemptible. Early in life, he's one of Gamaliel's star pupils. He's strong, self-reliant, vehement. He's clear in thought. He's incisive in, in speech. He's swift in action. Look at him now. How could you call that abundance? God's plan, though, because when I'm weak, then I'm strong. God's plan is for me to have an abundant life by his definition. And Paul was eloquent, too, in his tears. Remember, he says to the elders of the Ephesians, Ephesian church, he said, remember the three years I was with you? My constant watch and care over you night and day and my many tears for you. He, he cries. He weeps. And you know why it is? It's because he wants good for his people. The, the people, some of them, many of them bemoan him. Some of them hate him. Many of them oppose him. He comes across people who are lazy, who are, who are resistant. And he he cries like he weeps. He's eloquent in his tears for people. This is abundant life. God's plan for me to have an abundant life by his definition. And look at this. Paul is interested, you know, in every person. Here's where abundance comes from. He says, so everywhere we go, we tell everyone about Christ. We warn them. And we teach them with all the wisdom God has given us. Why? For we want to present them to God.
perfect in their relationship to Christ. Them, panta and thropon. Panta and thropon in the Greek language. Real strong emphasis on every person. Every person. So not just looking out and saying, all you guys... And, and talking to you or to you or to you. Every single person. Every. Every person. Every person in his emphatic language. Every person. Every single person. Every single person, every single person chosen by God, loved by the Father, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for them to do. No matter where they came from or who they are or what they'd done or where they'd been, every person, God's plan is for me to have an abundant life. And you know, fundamentally for, for Paul, this was all about God's grace and God's power. It was not about Paul. He said, I work very hard. That's the Greek word, agonizomenos. We get we get the word agonized from that. It, it, it means to strain every nerve. I work very hard. I agonize. I agonize at this as I depend on Christ's mighty power that works within me. And this is a true saying you said everyone should believe it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners and I was the worst of them all. That's why God had mercy on me. Friends, God's plan is for me to have an abundant life, but it's by his definition. Um, here's some photos of my friend. I mentioned this guy last week. I'm just coming down here because I've got a big book to get. This is my friend Bob Vernon. And, um, and, and Bob was, for many years, the assistant chief of the Los Angeles Police Department. And you can see in there talking to Ronald Reagan and... Um, and then the photo, the middle one on the right there, that's a bit more what Bob looks like these days. He's, um, he's quite old now. Back in, where is it, January 31, 1990, when I'd met Bob and I'd had the privilege of staying with him and his beautiful wife, Esther, for a few weeks and we formed this lifelong friendship and, and have been to this day. Just beautiful people. And he gave me this, I can hold, hardly hold it up, it's so heavy. Exhaustive concordance of the Bible. And here's what, to Jeffrey. We hope this book will help you pursue the will of God in your life and make you, and then he's got in inverted commas, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. Bob and Esther Vernon. You know that? That verse, friends, as, as you're thinking about an abundant life, 
Do your best to present yourself to God. Paul himself said this as one approved, as a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Dear God's plan for me to have an abundant life. Abundant by his definitions. Let's pray together. We're, we're trusting you together. Holy Spirit, just trusting you together now to, to make this clear to us, this concept of abundance, because we, we live in a society and a world where abundance is just, um, it's thrust upon us all the time. And, and especially here in the Western world, we're, we're always thinking about getting more or 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 going bigger, or, or getting better. And, and many of our problems, we can solve them just by throwing money at them. And then some of us just feel like we're, we're poor. And then we get reminded, if we do an analysis of how much the least of us here in this place get, we're still in in the top 1% to 2% of the world's population in terms of our affluence. So it's so hard for us to get our minds around this concept of abundance. Well, I would like to, and, and, and if you'd like to, my friend, you, you can affirm this with me as we pray. Jesus, I would like to, and I know I have many here with me who would like to say, I want to view abundance the way that you want me to view it. And I do want to live an abundant life, but I want my abundant life to be abundant by your definition. And of course, I won't, I won't argue if I have abundance by the world's definition. I'm not going to argue with that. But that's not what I'm seeking. That's not what I'm asking for. I'm asking for abundance by your definition. To live in a way that pleases you. To say that my purpose is to please you, not people. To, to say, it doesn't even matter what people think of me. It doesn't even matter what I think of myself. What matters is what you think of me. I long for you to do those ongoing works in my life, Jesus. And... For all those who are here that say, say the same or something really similar, I'm giving you the opportunity now just to, just to affirm that in the silence to Jesus. We're going to sing and worship together as we do and then as we finish, our prayer team will be up the back of the church. And you, you, you'll identify them because they've got a little badge hanging around their neck. You'll identify them. Just You want to go see them and ask them to pray with you about anything. Go see them, do that. I'd love to pray with you. Pastor Adam, Noah, Sammy are here too. Love to pray with you. Let's see abundance the way that God wants to see it. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Love you guys. Thanks for listening in. See you soon.